Chapter One of Recollections of the Civil War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Recollections of the Civil War by Charles Dana. Chapter One From the Tribune to the War Department. First Meeting with Mr. Lincoln. Early Correspondence with Mr. Stanton. A Command Obtained for General Fremont. The New Energy in the Military Operations. Mr. Stanton Disclaims the Credit. The War Secretary's Opinion of McClellan. Mr. Dana Called into Government Service. The Cairo Investigation and Its Results. First Acquaintance with General Grant. I had been associated with Horace Greeley on the New York Tribune for about fifteen years when one morning, early in April, 1862, Mr. Sinclair, the advertising manager of the paper, came to me saying that Mr. Greeley would be glad to have me resign. I asked one of my associates to find for Mr. Greeley if that was really his wish. In a few hours he came to me saying that I had better go. I stayed the day out in order to make up the paper and give them an opportunity to find a successor, but I never went into the office after that. I think I then owned a fifth of the paper, twenty shares, this stock my colleagues bought. Mr. Greeley never gave a reason for dismissing me, nor did I ever ask for one. I know, though, that the real explanation was that while he was for peace and I was for war, and that as long as I stayed on the Tribune, there was a spirit there which was not his spirit, that he did not like. My retirement from the Tribune was talked of in the newspapers for a day or two, and brought me a letter from the Secretary of War, Edward M. Stanton, saying he would like to employ me in the War Department. I had already met Mr. Lincoln, and had carried on a brief correspondence with Mr. Stanton, my meeting with Mr. Lincoln was shortly after his inauguration. He had appointed Mr. Seward to be his Secretary of State, and some of the Republican leaders of New York, who had been instrumental in preventing Mr. Seward's nomination to the presidency, and in securing that of Mr. Lincoln, had begun to fear that they would be left out in the cold in the distribution of the offices. General James S. Wadsworth, George Updike, Lucius Robinson, T.B. Carroll, and Henry B. Stanton were among the number of these gentlemen. Their apprehensions were somewhat mitigated by the fact that Mr. Chase, to whom we were all friendly, was Secretary of the Treasury. But notwithstanding, they were afraid that the superior tact and pertinacity of Mr. Seward and of Mr. Thurlow Weed, Seward's close friend and political manager, would get the upper hand, and the power of the federal administration would be put into the control of the rival faction. Accordingly, several of them determined to go to Washington, and I was asked to go with them. I believe the appointment for our interview with the president was made through Mr. Chase, but at any rate we all went up to the White House together, except for Mr. Henry B. Stanton, who stayed away because he was himself an applicant for office. Mr. Lincoln received us in the large room upstairs in the east wing of the White House where he had his working office. 
the president stood up while general wadsworth who was our principal spokesman and mr updike stated what was desired after the interview had begun a big indianan who was a messenger in attendance in the white house came into the room and said to the president she wants you yes yes said mr lincoln without stirring soon afterward the messenger returned again exclaiming i say she wants you the president was evidently annoyed but instead of going out after the messenger he remarked to us one side shall not gobble up everything make out a list of places and men you want and i will endeavor to apply the rule of give and take general wadsworth answered our party will not be able to remain in washington but we will leave such a list with mr carroll and whatever he agrees to will be agreeable to us mr lincoln continued let mr carroll come in to-morrow and we will see what can be done this is the substance of the interview and what most impressed me was the evident fairness of the president we all felt that he meant to do what was right and square in the matter while he was not the man to promote factious quarrels and difficulties within his party he did not intend to leave in the lurch the friends through whose exertions his nomination and election had finally been brought about at the same time he understood perfectly that we of new york and our associates in the republican body had not gone to chicago for the purpose of nominating him or of nominating any one in particular but only to beat mr seward and thereupon to do the best that could be done as regards the selection of the candidate my acquaintance with mr stanton had come about through an editorial which i had written for the tribune on his entrance to the war department i had sent it to him with a letter calling his attention to certain facts which it seemed to me the war department ought to deal in reply i received the following letter washington january twenty fourth eighteen sixty two my dear sir yours of the twenty second only reached me this evening the facts you mention were new to me but there is too much reason to fear they are true but that matter will i think be corrected very speedily you cannot tell how much obligation i feel myself under for your kindness every man who wishes the country to pass through this trying hour should stand on watch and aid me bad passions and little passions and mean passions gather around and hem in the great movements that should deliver this nation two days ago i wrote you a long letter a three-pager expressing my thanks for your admirable article of the twenty-first stating my position and purposes and in that letter i mentioned some of the circumstances of my unexpected appointment but interrupted before it was completed i will not inflict or afflict you with it i know the task that is before us i say us because the tribune has its mission as plainly as i have mine and they tend to the same end but i am not in the smallest degree dismayed or disheartened by god's blessing we shall prevail i feel a deep earnest feeling growing up around me we have no jokes or trivialities but all with whom i act show that they are now in dead earnest i know you will rejoice to know this as soon as i can get the machinery of the office working the rats cleared out and the rat holes stopped we shall move 
this army has got to fight or run away and while men are striving nobly in the west the champagne and oysters on the potomac must be stopped but patience for a short while only is all i ask if you and others like you will rally round me yours truly edwin m stanton c a dana esq a few days after this i wrote mr stanton a second letter in which i asked him to give general fremont a chance at the breaking out of the war fremont had been made a major general in the regular army and the command of the western department had been given to him his campaign in missouri in the summer of eighteen sixty one gave great dissatisfaction and in november eighteen sixty one he was relieved after an investigation by the secretary of war since that time he had been without a command i believed as did many others that political intrigue was keeping Fremont back. I was anxious that he should have fair play, in order that the great mass of people who had supported him for the presidency in 1856, and who still were his warm friends, might not be dissatisfied. To my letter, Mr. Stanton replied, Washington, February 1, 1862. Dear Sir, If General Fremont has any fight in him, he shall, so far as I am concerned, have a chance to show it, and I have told him so. The times require the help of every man according to his gifts, and having neither partialities nor grudges to indulge, it will be my aim to practice on the maxim, the tools to him that can handle them. There will be serious trouble between Hunter and Lane, what Lane's expedition has in view, how it came to be set on foot, and what is expected to be accomplished by it, I do not know, and have tried in vain to find out. It seems to be a haphazard affair that no one will admit himself to be responsible for. But believing that Lane has pluck and is an earnest man, he shall have fair play. If you know anything about him or his expedition, pray tell it to me. To bring the War Department up to the standard of the times, and to work an army of five hundred thousand with machinery adapted to a peace establishment of twelve thousand is no easy task this was mr cameron's great trouble and the cause of much of the complaints against him all i ask is reasonable time and patience the pressure of members of congress for clerk and army appointments notwithstanding the most stringent rules and the persistent strain against all measures essential to obtain time for thought combination and conference is discouraging in the extreme it often tempts me to quit the helm and despair the only consolation is the confidence and support of good and patriotic men to their aid i look for strength yours truly edwin m stanton c a dena esq tribune office very soon after mr stanton went into office Military affairs were energized, and a forward movement of the armies was apparent. It was followed by several victories, notably those of Fort Henry and Fort Donelson. On several occasions, the Tribune credited to the head of the War Department this new spirit which seemed to inspire officers and men. Mr. Stanton, fearful of the effect of this praise, sent to the paper the following dispatch. To the editor of the New York Tribune sir i cannot suffer undue merit to be ascribed to my official action 
the glory of our recent victories belongs to the gallant officers and soldiers that fought the battles no share of it belongs to me much has recently been said of military combinations and organizing victory i hear such phrases with apprehension they commenced in infidel france with the italian campaign and resulted in waterloo who can organize victory who can combine the elements of success on the battlefield we owe our recent victories to the spirit of the lord that moved our soldiers to rush into battle and filled the hearts of our enemies with dismay the inspiration that conquered in battle was in the hearts of the soldiers and from on high and wherever there is the same inspiration there will be the same results patriotic spirit with resolute courage in officers and men is a military combination that never failed we may well rejoice at the recent victories for they teach us that battles are to be won now and by us in the same and only manner that they were ever won by any people or in any age since the days of joshua by boldly pursuing and striking the foe what under the blessing of providence i conceive to be the true organization of victory and military combination to end this war was declared in a few words by general grant's message to general buckner i propose to move immediately on your works yours truly edwin m stanton on receiving this i at once wired to our representative in washington to know if mr stanton meant to repudiate the tribune i received my answer from mr stanton himself washington february nineteenth eighteen sixty two dear sir it occurred to me that your kind notice of myself might be perverted into a disparagement of the western officers and soldiers to whom the merit of the recent victories justly belongs and that it might create an antagonism between them and the head of the war department to avoid that misconstruction was the object of my dispatch leaving the matter to be determined as to publication to the better judgment of the tribune my own mind not being clear on the point of its expediency mr hill called to see me this evening and from the tenor of your dispatch it seemed to me that your judgment did not approve the publication or you would not speak of me as repudiating anything the tribune says on reflection i am convinced the communication should not be published as it might imply an antagonism between myself and the tribune on this as on any future occasion i defer to your judgment we have one heart and mind in this great cause and upon many essential points you have a wider range of observation and clearer sight than myself i am therefore willing to be guided by your wisdom yours truly edwin m stanton c a dana esq on receiving this letter we of course published his telegram at once when mr stanton went into the war department there was great dissatisfaction in the tribune office with mcclellan he had been placed in command of the army of the potomac in the preceding august and since november first had been in command of all the armies of the united states but while he had proved himself an excellent drill-master he had at the same time proved that he was no general at all his friends were loyal however and whatever success our armies met with was attributed to his generalship 
when the capture of fort donelson was announced mcclellan's friends claimed that he had directed it by telegraph from his headquarters on the potomac now the terminus of the telegraph toward fort donelson was many miles from the battlefield besides the absurdity of a general directing the movements of a battle a thousand miles off even if he had fifty telegraph wires leading to every part of the field was apparent nevertheless mcclellan's supporters kept up their claim on february twentieth the associated press agent at washington in reporting a railroad convention in washington at which mr stanton had spoken said secretary stanton in the course of his address paid a high compliment to the young and gallant friend at his side major-general mcclellan in whom he had the utmost confidence and the results of whose military schemes gigantic and well matured were now exhibited to a rejoicing country the secretary with upraised hands implored almighty god to aid them and himself and all occupying positions under the government in crushing out this unholy rebellion i did not believe stanton had done any such thing so i sent the paragraph to him the secretary replied private washington february twenty third eighteen sixty two dear sir the paragraph to which you called my attention was a ridiculous and impudently impertinent effort to puff up the general by a false publication of words i never uttered sam barlow one of the secretaries of the meeting was its author as i have been informed it is too small a matter for me to contradict but i told mr kimlin the other secretary that i thought the gentlemen who invited me to be present at their meeting owed it to themselves to see that one of their own officers should not misrepresent what i said it was for them and due to their own honor to see that an officer of the government might communicate with them in safety and if it was not done i should take care to afford no other opportunity for such practices the fact is that the agents of the associated press and a gang around the federal capital appear to be organized for the purpose of magnifying their idol and if such men as those who compose the railroad convention in this city do not rebuke such a practice as that perpetrated in this instance they cannot be conferred with in the future you will of course see the propriety of my not noticing the matter and thereby giving it importance beyond the contempt it inspires i think you are well enough acquainted with me to judge in future the value of any such statement i notice the herald telegraphic reporter announces that i had a second attack of illness on friday and could not attend the department i was in the department or in the cabinet from nine in the morning until nine at night and never enjoyed more perfect health than on that day and at present for your kind solicitude accept my thanks i shall not needlessly impair my means of usefulness yours truly edwin m stanton c a dana esq p s was it not a funny sight to see a certain military hero in the telegraph office at washington last sunday organizing victory and by sublime military combinations capturing fort donelson six hours after grant and smith had taken it sword in hand and had victorious possession 
it would be a picture worthy of punch thus when the newspapers announced my unexpected retirement from the tribune i was not unknown to either the president or the secretary of war to mr stanton's letter asking me to go into the service of the war department i replied that i would attempt anything he wanted me to do and in may he wrote me that i was to be appointed on a commission to audit unsettled claims against the quartermaster's department at cairo illinois i was directed to be in cairo on june seventeenth my formal appointment which i did not receive until after i reached cairo read thus war department washington city d c june sixteenth eighteen sixty two sir by direction of the president a commission has been appointed consisting of messieurs george s boutwell stephen t logan and yourself to examine and report upon all unsettled claims against the war department at cairo illinois that may have originated prior to the first day of april eighteen sixty two messieurs boutwell and logan have been requested to meet with you at cairo on the eighteenth day of june instant in order that the commission may be organized on that day and enter immediately upon the discharge of its duties you will be allowed a compensation of eight dollars per day and mileage mr thomas means who has been appointed solicitor for the government has been directed to meet you at cairo on the eighteenth instant and will act under the direction of the commission in the investigation of such claims as may be presented edwin m stanton secretary of war honorable charles a dana of new york cairo illinois on reaching cairo on the appointed day i found my associates judge logan of springfield illinois one of mr lincoln's friends and mr boutwell of massachusetts afterward governor of his state secretary of the treasury and a united states senator we organized on the eighteenth as directed two days after we met judge logan was compelled by illness to resign from the commission and shelby n Collum, now united states senator from illinois was appointed in his place the main union armies had by this time advanced far to the front but cairo was still an important military depot almost an outpost in command of general william k strong whom i had known well in new york as a politician there was a large number of troops stationed in the town and from there the armies on the mississippi river in missouri and in kentucky got all their supplies and munitions of war the quartermaster's department at cairo had been organized hastily and the demands upon it had increased rapidly much of the business had been done by green volunteer officers who did not understand the technical duties of making out military requisitions and returns the result was that the accounts were in great confusion and hysterical newspapers were charging the department with fraud and corruption the war department decided to make a full investigation of all disbursements at cairo from the beginning little actual cash had thus far been paid out upon contracts and it was not too late to correct overcharges and straighten out the system the matter could not be settled by any ordinary means and the commission went there as a kind of supreme authority accepting or rejecting claims and paying them as we thought fit after examining the evidence sixteen hundred and ninety-six claims amounting to five hundred ninety nine thousand two hundred nineteen dollars and thirty-six cents were examined by us 
of those approved and certified for payment the amount was four hundred fifty one thousand one hundred five dollars and eighty cents of the claims rejected a considerable portion were for losses suffered in the active operations of the army either through departure from discipline on the part of the soldiers or from requisitions made by officers who failed to give receipts and certificates to the persons concerned who were thus unable to support their claims by sufficient evidence many claims of this description were also presented by men whose loyalty to the government was impeached by credible witnesses in rejecting these the commission set forth the disloyalty of the claimants in the certificates written on the face of their accounts other accounts whose rightfulness was established were rejected on proof of disloyalty the commission regarded complicity in the rebellion as barring all claims against the united states a question of some interest was raised by the claim of the trustees of the cairo city property to be paid for the use by the government wharf boats of the paved portion of the levee which protected the town against the ohio river we were unable to see the matter in the light presented by the trustees our judgment was that the government ought not to pay for the use of necessary landing places on these rivers or elsewhere during the exigencies of war and we so certified upon the face of the claims a similar principle guided our decision upon several claims for the rent of vacant lots in cairo which had been used by the military authorities for the erection of temporary barracks or stables we determined that for these no rent ought under the circumstances to be allowed but we suggested that in justice to the owners this temporary occupation should be terminated as soon as possible by the sale and removal of the buildings a very small percentage of the claims were rejected because of fraud in almost every case it was possible to suppose that the apparent fraud was accident my observation throughout the war was the same i do not believe that so much business could be transacted with a closer adherence to the line of honesty that there were frauds is a matter of course because men and even some women are wicked but frauds were the exception our commission finished its labors at cairo on july thirty first eighteen sixty two and i went at once to washington with the report placing it in the hands of mr stanton on august fifth it was never printed and the manuscript is still in the files of the war department there was a great deal of curiosity among officers in washington about the results of our investigation and all the time that i was in the city i was being questioned on the subject it was natural enough that they should have felt interest in our report the charges of fraud and corruption against officers and contractors had become so reckless and general that the mere sight of a man in conference with a high official led to the suspicion and often the charge that he was conspiring to rob the government that in this case where the charges seemed so well based so small a percentage of corruption had been proved was a source of solid satisfaction to every one in the war department all the leisure that i had while in cairo i spent in horseback riding up and down the river banks and in visiting the adjacent military posts my longest and most interesting trip was on the fourth of july when i went down the mississippi to attend a big celebration at memphis i remember it particularly because it was there that i first met general grant the officers stationed in the city gave a dinner that day to which i was invited at the table i was seated between grant 
and Major John A. Rawlins, of his staff. I remember distinctly the pleasant impression Grant made, that of a man of simple manners, straightforward, cordial, and unpretending. He had already fought the successful battles of Fort Donelson and Shiloh, and when I met him was a major general in command of the District of West Tennessee, Department of the Missouri, under Halleck, with headquarters at Memphis. Although one would not have suspected it from his manners, he was really under a cloud at the time because of his operations at Shiloh. Those who did not like Grant had accused him of having been taken by surprise there, and had declared that he would have been beaten if Buell had not come up. I often talked later with Grant's staff officers about Shiloh, and they always affirmed that he would have been successful if Buell had not come to his relief. I believe Grant himself thought so, although he never said so directly in any of the many talks I had with him about the battle. End of chapter 1